HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Chaipani Restaurant Group. This week on Meet and 3, we bring you stories about the coldest, darkest season. We start in a California vineyard. It's cold, but it's wet, and things are still alive. There's a lot of life in this soil. We explore two frontiers of cocktail culture, luxury ice and the rise of non-alcoholic drinks. The rocks traditionally becomes 25% of your drink's volume, and as such, it imparts smells and tastes. And we investigate the risks facing New York City delivery workers during the harsh winter. In the wintertime, after two hours of biking, it's quite easy, actually, for the bikes to sting upside down or slips or slide. Tune in to this week's episode of Meat and 3, that's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E, for some food for thought to sustain you through the dead of winter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network, and I'm your host, Kathy Irway. So as you were just hearing, it certainly is the dead of winter right now. It's actually a very cold day today in Brooklyn, um, and it's actually still in the Lunar New Year. Um, Chinese New Year is, you know, goes on for seven days, so it'll still be the year of the pig um, celebrations for another couple days. So uh, my guest today is a Chinese-American, and she (laughs) is laughing, (laughs) but she was last here actually to talk about her first book maybe five years ago? Six years ago. Six years ago, and that was the Chinese takeout cookbook. So gongshi fatai, Diana Kwan. Hi. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Of course. And um, your new book, okay, the follow-up. It is a cold day, as, as, as I was saying, but you will be warmed by it. It is called Red Hot Kitchen. Classic Asian chili sauces from scratch and delicious dishes to make with them. So, congrats! Thank you. So, this is this tackles nine sauces from from China, Japan, Korea. What else? Thailand, mm-hmm. Indonesia, Indonesia. Yep. And there's like a Hong Kong specific sauce. Yep. There's a Sichuan specific sauce. So, a lot of a lot of sauces in here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I. I want to ask you first and foremost, because you have recipes for the sauces themselves, mm-hmm. as well as dishes to make with them. So, and some of these things are like pretty, pretty amazing, like uh, pretty intense, you know, like there's some simpler sauces like the Sichuan chili oil, um, which I've made before, but then you have gochujang, mm-hmm. 
you ferment for a month or so? Yeah, there's two versions of gochujang, actually. There's a version that is um, fermented, and mm-hmm. that takes about two months to get um, you know, a good enough flavor. And then there's a quick and easy version that you do at home, and there's a really simple shortcut you can do ah, with it. Very sneaky. Um, I love having that option. Um, because I actually wanted to ask you, why do you think people would should uh, make chili sauces as opposed to buying the red tub of gochujang or the bottle of whatever? Well, the biggest reason I have for making my own is I can always customize them um, to the ideal level of spiciness that I want. Like sometimes, you know, the gochujang that I get at the grocery store isn't spicy enough or it's like a little bit too um, smoky and I wanted a little bit more balanced. So it's it all depends on what kind of flavor you're mm-hmm. looking for. And the more you make it, the more you're um, able to tweak it to however you'd like. And it's also a cost thing, too. Like, for example, um, for something like XO sauce, um, a really good bottle of XO sauce can set you back like 70 US dollars. Whereas if you make it at home, you can make just like a huge, huge jar of it for a fraction of the pot. Ah. But one of those ingredients in exo sauce is the dried scallops, right? Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. That, that pungent, fishy flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen dried scallops going for a crazy amount of money. Yeah. <laughs> they run the gamut. Yeah, right? it can cost like $100 a pound. For fancy ones. For fancy ones. But you don't, like those big fancy ones are usually the ones that people give for presents, like most likely like wedding presents. That's like a, uh, a status symbol in mm. Hong Kong. Um, but you can, when you're making the sauce, you don't need like the huge fancy ones. You can just yeah, get like shredded scallops or smaller scallops for um, like much more budget friendly price. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Because, you know, in this sauce, uh, it's going to get mushed up with so many other things. It's not about the dried scallops. It's not about, like, the look of it. And those, I guess, $100 jars of exo sauce is, I guess, more of, like, a status thing, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we can make our... (laughs) You could make a $100 jar, I guess, if you wanted. But it's good, again, to be able to... For $100, you can make many jars. (laughs) Yeah, you can customize. And also play around with it. Um, so, okay, we wanted to back up and talk about, in the beginning, in the introduction, you write about how you traveled throughout Asia mm-hmm. when you were living in Beijing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you said you grew up eating Cantonese food, mm-hmm. which is not spicy. No, not spicy at all. Right. And so it was really when you went to Beijing that you really fell in love with, and I was intrigued by this, Sichuan food. Mm-hmm. Now, Beijing is pretty far from Sichuan province. It is. (laughs) But you write that it seemed like Beijingers subsisted on Sichuan food. Yeah, so there isn't like really a really strong um, Beijing cuisine like there are in um, other parts of China. Like you have mm-hmm. imperial cuisine, and then you have like the much homier stuff, like um, like really thick skin dumplings, really thick noodles, and those are like the basic like everyday eats. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of times people don't subsist just on like dumplings and noodles. Um, they'll most like if you go to Beijing on any given street, there'll be just tons and tons of Sichuan restaurants because I think they really kind of just took Sichuan cuisine as their own and it's really easy to find amazing Sichuan food in Beijing and it's also like a capital so it draws a lot of people from uh, other provinces. Wow so when was this that you were living in Beijing? I was there um, from 2007 to early like 2009. Because I'm just trying to trace back because you know 15 years ago in New York City Sichuan food wasn't quite the sensation that it is today. Mm -hmm. It was much and now it's like you know, Sichuan food is really taken on in the U.S. in general. So I'm wondering when that 
maybe happened in Beijing where it became really popular? I'm not really sure. I'm going to guess it's sometime between like the mid 80s to like the mid 2000s was when it uh, was before like Beijing wasn't that open to people that were from outside provinces. And then over time, because there were big snobs or what? um, (laughs) Well, actually, like China was kind of really divided between Ah. people who lived in different provinces. So like even if you wanted to move to a different city or a different town within China, you had to apply for um for kind of like a, a visa almost. So you like we can't mm. you can't move around as freely as you can like the US. Got it. So but there was like a big construction boom in the in Beijing in like the nineties and two thousands, so a lot of people just um, sure. flooded in. Yeah. Okay. So then so then why Sichuan food? Why did that one become so popular? Because there's distinct cuisines mm-hmm. from other places in Asia. Yeah. And there are like various um other regional cuisines yeah. um, in Beijing, but I think it's just because it's a cuisine that's very e- like easy to make your own, and it's a little much more, I guess, friendly to palates that aren't used to spicy food, but still want like bold flavors. Like I mm-hmm. think I personally think it's a little bit more like beginner friendly than Hunan food, which is just like crazy spicy without um, well with a little bit less balance than um, than Sichuan food is, because mm. you can like tweak the amount of sugar in Sichuan food to make it a little bit um, more palatable. You can which is what they do in Shanghai, which is used to a little, like, more, um, like, sweeter flavors. And then in Beijing, you could, like, definitely tone it down a little. Mm-hmm. So the, Beij- the Sichuan food that you find in Beijing is, a, like, a tiny bit more toned down than the Sichuan food you can find in, like, mm. Chengdu. But the um, it's definitely not as toned down as you can find in the U.S. Ah, interesting. And then, of course, people from Hunan would be like, it's not spicy enough. <laughs> it's not intense enough. <laughs> but, um, okay, so do you, what do you think about why did Sichuan food become so popular in the U.S.? Did it follow this trend or from Beijing or it just on its own merits captivated people? Yeah, I think it started becoming popular in the U.S. in like uh, in New York in the 1970s or so. Um, and there were a lot of Sichuan restaurants. There were a lot of, or Americanized Sichuan restaurants and then Americanized Hunan slash Sichuan restaurants. And um, I, it goes, goes back to how adaptable it is. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. And there's a, a balance, like you mentioned. It's not just spicy it's also, there's sourness, mm-hmm. um, some yep. vinegar involved. There's also mala. Yep. Yeah, so that's the Sichuan peppercorn. Yeah, which is addictive on its own. Right, right. Um, yeah, so, okay, you have a really fun um, history of the chili pepper and um, not to be confused with Sichuan peppercorns. Mm-hmm. So how did peppers, chilies, that is, mm-hmm. How did they get to Asia? So um, chili peppers kind of originated in the Americas. Um, I think like Mexico was a huge, um, huge part uh, of it. And then also Brazil and like Bolivia, they were huge producers and... Like during the age of like discovery, uh-huh. um, there were you know we all know Christopher, Christopher Columbus, Columbus yeah. and uh, the other Portuguese explorers. Uh, he hit the Americas and thought he was in India, as <laughs> we all know, and he thought that um, what he 
was seeing was pepper, like peppercorn pepper. And Very strange confusion. So that's the, the distinction between like why we call them both chilies and peppers. Mm-hmm. And then he brought them back to Europe where they were kind of just used as like ornamental plants. Because um, they were afraid of the Yeah, spiciness. they were just like, what is this? It's kind of pretty. Let's just like grow them. Okay. Didn't and quite take off there yeah, yet. Didn't quite take off there, but then the Portuguese also went to Goa in, um, India. in India, where the cuisine was, um, ha- already had its own like nice blend of spices like cinnamon and cardamom. Mm. And uh, the Goans actually like really uh, took to uh, chili peppers and started incorporating them into the cuisine. And then from there, um, Portuguese traders, like I think Indian traders, and then um, other European traders kind of brought... Uh, kind of just took them around Southeast Asia and to China, and then I think the Portuguese brought them to Korea, too, and this was, like, in the 15, 1600s. 1500s. Yep. Pretty recent. Pretty recent. That's kind of amazing. And I love that, you know, um, people discovered plant the plant, capsicum, if you will, or chilies, mm-hmm. in... Um, for many different uses, not just flavoring things, but also to preserve, right? Mm-hmm. It helps to naturally preserve meats. Yep. And uh, it has like natural antimicrobial properties. So you can just make uh, a chili sauce and then that'll last for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And it'll help preserve your other foods too. And it tastes really good. And it's easy to grow too, right? They grow mm-hmm. prolifically. Yeah. So anyone who's grown a chili bush or two, um, well, hopefully find this book really fun. <laughs> so, okay, let's talk about what, what, how did you pick nine sauces for this book? So there are obviously a ton of different hot sauces from around Asia, and I didn't want to do kind of like an encyclopedia of them because that would just take like, you know, 10 years to do and just be yeah. volumes. So I wanted to do, I wanted to focus on nine that were um, used as both condiments and cooking ingredients. Got it. So yeah. um, within like, I guess the sambal family, there are many, many, many different types of sambals. What, is, what exactly is the sambal family? <laughs> so the sambal is um, the hot sauce that is used mainly in Indonesia and Malaysia. And they have a lot of different varieties um, that are used as condiments. But mm-hmm. sambal olek, which is like kind of like the plainest one, is also used as a cooking ingredient. So mm-hmm. you can use it in a lot of Indonesian and Malaysian dishes. And it's the one that's in the cookbook that's... Um, like the ease, one of the easiest to make. Cool. I didn't know that because I always just buy the green cap rooster sample. <laughs> yep. <so> that's <laughs> and a, that's yeah. like a constant in my fridge. So I would, why? Okay. I, I'm glad I know that. <laughs> um, but this one is very different be- than, you know, many other sauces because it has that bright red flavor and that bright tangy flavor too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then a more blended version is the sriracha. Mm-hmm. Is that in the sambal family, or am I wrong? Uh, Sriracha comes from uh, Thailand. It's like this coastal uh, Thai town. And the one that was originally made there, I think, like, there was a woman who kind of... um, marketed her own and it became really popular from that Thai town um, and I think it only started she only started like marketing in the, like the 30s so but the Thai version of sriracha okay. is like um, it's going to be a lot tangier than uh, the one that we know in the US and it's a little bit more hmm. watery Okay. Um, and then there was a Vietnamese immigrant from uh, who arrived in California uh, David, 
Tran, I think his name is. Yeah. And he started the that sriracha company out of like a little storefront in L.A. and that became a, a huge business and that's the sriracha that we know now. Okay. But so it's a little bit different. Than it's the a little different yeah. than the original sriracha. Yeah. And do you have you been to some of the places and tasted their version of sriracha? The OG, I guess, <laughs> version. Yeah, in Thailand, you can uh-huh. find it pretty easily. Do they also have the American-born uh, rooster Not David Tran sriracha? No. no. But they do like make, you know, like a lot of different restaurants in, um, in Thailand make their own like house hot sauces. So. Wow. It's so amazing how ubiquitous that sauce has become in such a short time. Mm-hmm. And just like all these stories have a fairly, I mean sort of recent like um you know origins um i just think it's so interesting that kimchi which you have a great recipe for is something we think of as red but before there was chilies in korea kimchi was just it was just like a fermented cabbage right yeah it's like sauerkraut yeah yeah but um and they still do have that. You mm-hmm. can get that. Yeah. But it's not quite as fun. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know where, you know, Korean cuisine would be now these days without right? chili peppers. Yeah. With all that red. Oh, my gosh. Um, we're going to talk about more of these sauces and the recipes right after a quick little commercial break. This episode is brought to you by Chaipani Restaurant Group. From Bombay to Buncombe and Asheville to Atlanta, Chaipani has extended the love of food, culinary experience, and storytelling to the Southeast. Founded by Meherwani and Molly Irani, Chaipani Restaurant Group includes two locations of Chaipani, plus MG Road Bar and Lounge, Botiwala, Buxton Hall Barbecue, and their new spice company, Spicewala. Learn more about Chaipani and watch their documentary series, Cutting Chai, at chaipaniRestaurantGroup.com. That's C-H-A-I-P-A-N-I RestaurantGroup.com. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Michael Harlan Turkel, and I'm the host of The Food Scene here on HRN. This show explores the intersection of food, art, and design by talking to people who are inspired by these ideas. The show features food photographers, food stylists, interior designers, and so much more. All the players that make the world so visually delicious. You can find The Food Scene wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. All right, we're back chatting more with Diana Kwan, author of her latest book, which is Red Hot Kitchen. Hi, Diana. Hi. All right, so you've been teaching classes about, uh, you know, cooking classes for 10 years or more. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're typically on all sorts of different, like, niches of Chinese cooking or mm-hmm. yeah. Asian, too. Mm-hmm. So why did you come up with this idea? Like, why, why just focus on spicy foods and sauces from all around Asia for this book? Um, the short answer, I guess, is that I've you know, offered a ton of different classes over the years, but I found that the ones that get like people the most excited are the ones that 
really feature like bold, spicy flavors. Mm-hmm. Um, so even in like the dumpling classes that I make, uh, that I do, the we do um, a Sichuan wonton dish that people kind of just like go crazy for, <laughs> and it's like not usually a dish that you find in dumpling making classes. But yeah. once people taste the sauce, they're like, oh my god! So right, yeah. that's amazing. Because um, once you make the wontons, then it's all just all about the sauce that makes it. Yeah. Because the wonton is normal. Yeah, the wonton is just normal. Like, I didn't want to just do, like, the wonton soup. As in, like, not spicy. Yeah. 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 And it's just so easy to do. And then, um, but it's not something that people normally would think to make for themselves at home. Um, Right, But I wanted to, like, introduce people to that. So, okay, that's on the cover of this book. So (laughs) it does look amazing. Um, So it has your chili oil, Mm -hmm. which, can you, like, briefly describe how to make this? Yeah, so the oil itself, you can, um, the Sichuan chili oil, you kind of um, heat oil in a pot for like a few minutes until it's just very hot. Neutral veg oil? Yeah, like a high temperature cooking oil, Mm -hmm. and then you take it off the stove and you put in a whole bunch of like crushed red chilies along with um, spices like uh, star anise and cinnamon, and you can throw in like a bay leaf too, and cloves, um, and then kind of just let it sit. And then the uh, oil is infused with like like all these different like chili flavors and then the aromas from the other spices. Um, That is like a very shelf stable um, chili oil and that you could just like leave for like up to a year Um, and then you pair it you just mix in some like soy sauce and vinegar a little bit of like Minced ah, garlic. for your dumplings. Yeah, yeah. for the sauce. Got it. Um, and then, like, Sichuan pepper, too. And then you just coat it over your wontons. Oh, I'm so hungry right now. Um, so, but that oil that you're mentioning, it's like mm-hmm. an infusion. Would mm-hmm. you, okay, you could also strain out the chunky stuff, like the yeah. spices. You can also train, strain out the chunky stuff, but you don't really want to. Like, if you guys are have ever had, like, Laogan Ma before, um, which I is just think like I have. Sichuan chili crisp <laughs> that's super popular in the U.S., um, this is, like, a very <laughs> similar homemade version we had anita Lowe on the show <laughs> a couple months ago and uh she brought up log on in her book too and she just gushed about it first so yes we definitely <laughs> we love log so is that a chili oil type sauce yeah it's chill it's a, like a really really chunky crispy chunky. so you can do oil. that using mm-hmm. your recipe yep. and then just maybe straining out the oil yeah and then you can have the separate oil sort mm-hmm. of like this this thing that I'm looking at on this table here at yeah. Roberta's, that they have this red infused oil that you can drizzle on your pizza. Yeah. So it yeah. just depends on whether you want like chunky, crispy stuff on your food or just like a plain uh, mm. chili oil. And as you mentioned in the beginning, you can tweak things to your own taste. So you can put other stuff in it here too. Mm-hmm. Any suggestions? Because I didn't know about the. Uh, cinnamon, mm-hmm. you had star anise, and yeah. you also had cloves or something? Cloves, yeah. Cloves, yeah, yeah. I didn't think of that one. Mm-hmm. Anything else I could put? Um, you can also, like, switch out the um, the Sichuan pepper for, like, green Sichuan pepper, which kind of has, like, this, you know, very sharp numbingness. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's, like, it's a little stronger. bit sharper, yeah. Okay. Yeah, my Sichuan peppercorns are red, mm-hmm. so it's n- it's milder. Yeah. Okay. Um, hmm. <laughs> I'm just like dreaming of making my next version. Uh, <laughs> all right. So I love how you have recipes in here that are not just, uh, you know, you mentioned you, your wonton recipe, really classic things to make with and pair with these sauces. Mm-hmm. But you have some unexpected ones too. And they're not always Asian recipes like this. Um, 
exosauce pizza. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the great thing about um, exosauce is that even though it takes like a little bit longer to make than the other sauces, like once you have this like umami like packed jar, um, you don't really need that much extra when you go and when you make things. So I make like a um, a flatbread pizza by just like. Uh, baking it, like slathering uh, over with like exo sauce and some like crispy shallots and Brussels sprouts. Mm. And it's like a really good, like, you know, impromptu pizza. Um, and really I should fun. Is that your own invention? Yeah. <laughs> and I should also mention that um, even though the, uh, the traditional exo sauce has like shrimp and scallops and bacon, I also have a vegan exo sauce in there that has like uh, shiitake mushrooms and shallots and it's a really Garlic. good. Yeah. And it's like very umami rich as well. Cool. I love it. Um, yeah. That's the one sauce that is traditionally in this book, not quite vegetarian friendly. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, no, wait, is there a nom? What was There's the? a vegan uh, nom prick pao as well. So that's a really pasty Thai yeah, sauce. Yeah. And that right? traditionally has um, fish sauce in it. Mm-hmm. Um, which definitely has like this umami pungency. That's one that I've never made because it seems to have a lot of ingredients in it that mm-hmm. you would typically or traditionally pound in a mortar and presso. Yeah. 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 Do you do that yourself? Mm-hmm. You do? It, it, I do. <laughs> um, well, if I'm feeling like I need to, I can like skip the gym that day. I could just like pound the sauce. If you're feeling <laughs> angry at someone yeah. that day. <laughs> but you can also just like throw it in a food processor too, which is yeah, not yeah. traditional, but it saves you some, no. you know, there's arm a, strength. There's a lot of stuff in there. I love it. Um, and then we didn't talk about Thai red curry paste, which mm-hmm. you have here too. Yep. Another one of those things I find yep. tough to get my head around. But you can also pound. <laughs> you can also pound or not. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And then you have this Wonderful. I, I mean, I need to make this tonight. Thai red curry coconut mussels dish. Oh, yeah. That's one of my favorites. And That's, it's so easy to make, too. I know. I know. I love how, like, just having these sauces on hand means that you can make just, you know, just add a dab and then you have, you're set to go with so many things. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, one sauce in here is uh, green. And that's yes. the yuzu koshu. Yes. Kosho. So this means yuzu, the citrus, and then kosho means chili in mm-hmm. Japanese. Um, so yuzu kosho is also just one of these sauces that um, is uh, kind of like exo sauce. It's very unique in that it comes from a cuisine that is not traditionally known for having spicy food. Mm-hmm. So it, and it's one of the ones in this book that you mentioned that, that uses green chilies. Um, and then in Japan, normally you would use um, the yuzu fruit, which you can't really find here. But you can find, um, you can use Meyer lemons and limes, a combination of those two, um, to get the juice. Or you can use um, store-bought yuzu juice. Mm-hmm. And it goes great on Japanese food. Um, but because it also has um, green chilies, it also, I found, works really great on Mexican food. I had no idea it was so easy, too. So you take the zest and the juice mm-hmm. and chilies. Yes. And you blend it. Yeah. Or pound it together. Okay, or pound it again. <laughs> I love it. Um, and then, okay, so why did... So Japan doesn't really have much 
spicy food. Mm-hmm. How did this one and where in Japan did this come from? So it came from an area that actually did a lot of trading with Southeast Asia, which so it actually ended up getting、um, a lot of like. They, they got like、uh, green chilies as a, as a trade, so it became just really popular in this area.、Mm. And they started like incorporating it into like,、uh, like udon soup, and it, it, was, it was served over like fish, it would be served over chicken. So I find it really interesting that even though chilies have really spread throughout the world, especially in places like Korea, China, North, South. Japan seems to be a holdout、yeah. <laughs> for chili peppers, with the exception of this, like,、yeah. Yuzuko show. But、What? we know from, like, wasabi that they're not, you know, opposed to、okay. strong, strong flavors. Sure, sure. I, yeah, I, I don't know. It's interesting. But、um, this, this one sauce is definitely spicy,、mm-hmm. and you can adjust the levels、yeah. of which you can just have yuzu paste,、mm-hmm. too. If <laughs> you、mm-hmm. don't even like、yeah. it. But that would be no fun. Um, Diana, I know that you traveled a little bit for this book in addition to you know, having lived there in the early aughts、mm-hmm. or whenever that was、um, and traveling then.、Uh, what, what did you discover? Like, what, what was one of the things that like, you're just like, yes, I have to put this in my book? Um, before,、uh, when I was like coming up with the idea of the book, I didn't, I had like all these different like、uh, Thai、um, chili,、uh, chili sauces in mind. I didn't really like think of、um, Chinese sauces as much, like other than like, <laughs> like, Sichuan, other, other than, like Sichuan chili oil. But then、uh-huh. I remembered that.、Um, th- That XO sauce was like super, super, super popular in Hong Kong.、Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also unusual. So when I was in Hong Kong, I was like tasting all these different varieties and I was like, oh, yeah, that could be something that would be great to incorporate.、Yeah. And it's one of those sauces that people make so differently depending、yeah. on the restaurant and the, who, and the, the household and whoever's like、um, making it to sell to. And there's like artisanal suppliers in Hong Kong that would make them. Out of like, they would make like vegan versions, they would make like mangosteen versions, like they would、cool. kind of go crazy. Yeah, because there's a little sweetness in there.、Mm-hmm. And certainly the dried, you know, garlic and onion and shallot or whatever would give it a little sweetness too、mm-hmm. and rounder flavors.、Um, I, I, do you think that exo sauce is something that people are appreciating in your classes? It's less known than some of the others. I actually haven't taught. Oh, okay. sauce in a class yet. <laughs> But I'm doing、um, a lecture at the Brooklyn Brainery on,、um, on February 20th, and that will be like、Ooh. a, a chili, tex- chili、uh, lecture and tasting. And that will be one of the sauces that I'll have, like, that I'll have people taste. Oh, cool. And are you going to demo them, or is it、like、more of a talk and then show? And yeah,、taste? it'll be more of a talk and show because the. Making it is a little bit <laughs>、yeah. intensive. Well, yeah, you could pound on stage. <laughs> it might be fun.、Um, okay, so that's coming up February 20th? Yes. Where else, what other classes you got coming up?、Uh, I have a whole bunch coming up. There's going to be like、um, the usual like wonton dumpling classes, there'll be、um, a Sichuan class, there'll be vegan Chinese cooking.、Um, Ooh. 
And then I'm also doing uh, a talk and tasting tomorrow at Books Are Magic in yeah. um, Cobble Hill. So that'll be like a, a book launch nice. party. So where can everyone find your upcoming classes? Like- you can go to brooklynbrainery.com mm-hmm. and there'll be a list of upcoming classes. And then I also do private classes and people can just email me for those too. Okay. So we'll email, we'll find you at Appetite for China for, for your own yes. private fun chili classes Mm -hmm. all right i can't wait oh my goodness um well i hope everyone uh gets a hold of this book and also if you're around brooklyn you can come to books are magic tomorrow diana will be with matt rodbard editor-in-chief of taste and that lecture chili lecture (laughs) the brainery um well i guess that's about all the time but thank you so much diana thank you for having me All right, I'm going to cook one of these things tonight. (laughs) Thanks, everyone at Heritage. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Eat Your Words is powered by Simplecast. Simplecast is a popular hosting and analytics platform that allows podcasters to easily host and publish to apps like Apple Podcasts. If you have a podcast or are looking to create your very first, check it out. Try it for free and save half off your first three months at simplecast.com forward slash heritage. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org, or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage, and thanks for listening.